If you have your Bible, if you turn to Revelation chapter 13, and we've looked at this verse before, Revelation chapter 13 talks about the beast that rises up out of the sea. And we've been looking at this on a couple of different nights. And then in verse 7, it says, It was given to him, to this beast, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And then it says, And power was given to him over how many people? Over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And then it says that all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Uh, this prophecy, I don't believe it, it is, has been completely fulfilled yet. I think the day is coming when uh, the beast will have power over the whole world. But what we're going to look at on Tuesday night is something that has come from the beast and has actually come right in to, uh, to Christianity around the world. It's a very, very shocking subject. So I think, how many, how many seatbelts? I think, did I say eight? I think we had a four seatbelt night a couple nights ago. But next Tuesday night, it's an eight seatbelter. The beast's greatest deception affecting you. We're going to talk about things that have come right into Christianity, something that we all need to be aware of, that we need to deal with, that we need to understand, and that we need to avoid. So that will be a huge, huge Bible study And then, like I said, the next one is called A Thief in the Night. So we have a big lineup ahead of us, so I hope you'll you'll stick with us. All right, let's uh, let's open our Bibles to Revelation, turn back to chapter 12, Revelation 12, and we're just going to get right in. And there is the title on the screen, Revelation's Issue That Divides the World. So let's have another prayer. And ask God to help us. I surely need his help. I like that shirt there. Pray hard, work hard, play hard. Let's pray. Dear God, we all need you. Thank you that you brought us here together once again to the Roxy to hear the Bible. Lord, we know we're in a theater and a lot of movies have been shown here, all kinds of different movies. And we are here in the same room to, to take a look at the Bible to study your, your book, your word. And we all need you. We need your help. We need your wisdom and your guidance as we look at this subject. It's, it's in Revelation. Lord, help me to teach in a way that honors you and that is faithful to what you have said. Help me not to just you know, give my own ideas, but to be a channel for the word of the Lord. Please bless all of us now, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, I've got to have the blessing of God in what we do. Isn't that right? We need the Lord's blessing. Okay, Revelation chapter 12, starting with verse 9. Revelation 12 is a, is a battle chapter. It's a, it's a war chapter. Uh, verse 7 talks about there being war in heaven. And in verse 9, it tells who lost that war, the first war. Verse 9 says that the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, 
and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So this slide just depicts, uh, just depicts the dragon representing the devil. And in verse 9, it says that Satan was kicked out of heaven. And how many people does it say that he deceives? It says, right, it says uh, that he deceives the whole world. Now, that's pretty, pretty sober. That's a pretty solemn thought, that the devil is very deceptive and the vast majority of humanity are on his side, even without realizing it. So that's verse 9. We've got the whole world on the one side. So here you've got the world here. He deceives the world. But there is another side. At the end of this chapter in verse 17, 12, 17, it says, The dragon was angry with the woman, and the woman represents God's people. And he went to make war. So here's the war continuing with the remnant of her seed, the last little bit of the woman's seed, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So look at this. We have in verse 9, we have the devil deceiving the world. But then in verse 17, we have a group of people who are keeping God's commandments and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, do you think that these people are on the devil's side or are, are they on the side of Jesus? They're obviously on Jesus' side. And so just if you just look at this verse, what it's doing is it's drawing a line. You've got the majority on the one side, a minority on the other side. The, the, uh, the vast population of the earth are on the one side. But there's another group that are keeping God's commandments, and it says they have the testimony of Jesus. Now, the same basic idea is found in chapter 14. If you look at chapter 14... And look at verse 9, 13.9. Actually, let's, I'm sorry, let's go back to chapter 13. Verse 8 again. 13.8 says, All that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. And this is talking about the beast. All whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So here's another basic idea where we have, now we have the beast. Instead of the dragon, we have the beast. And it says that all that dwell upon the earth are worshiping him. So the basic idea is that most people are following the dragon, and most people will eventually follow the beast. Same idea. But if you go to chapter 14, and if you look at verse 9 and 12... Chapter 14, 9 and 12 warns about the beast. The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worships the beast and his image and receives his mark, and then it describes the consequences of what happens to those that get the mark. And then verse 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that do what? Right, that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, which is similar to what we read in chapter 12, verse 17. So once again, we have a line drawn, and we have the majority are on the side of the beast, except for a smaller group who keep the commandments of God, and they have the faith of Jesus. Same basic, basic idea. So the law is mentioned, and Jesus is mentioned. Now, turn to the last chapter of the Bible. 
Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. 22, 14. Actually, verse 13 is Jesus talking. In my Bible, it's in red. How many of your Bibles have verse 13 in red? Most of you? Okay. Your red-letter Bibles show the words of Jesus. Verse 13, Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And then verse 14 says, Blessed are those who do what? Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. So here's another verse that talks about the commandments. In Revelation 12, 17, it says, The devil's making war on those who keep the commandments and who have the testimony of Jesus. In chapter 14, verse 12, Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And the very last chapter of the Bible, and this is from the King James Version, 2214, blessed are they that do his commandments. The issue of the Ten Commandments and how the Ten Commandments relate to the grace of God, uh, this is a big, big issue in the world. Let me just show you a fairly recent ABC News report dealing with the Ten Commandments. Even ABC talks about the Ten Commandments sometimes. And here is an article that came out called, Are You a Saint or a Sinner? Take the quiz. Which biblical law are you breaking today? And then if you click the full story, it uh, lists some of the different commandments. And it says here, if you want to find out if you're a saint or a sinner, first you need to move the correct commandments to the tablet. Yeah, so it's... It's testing people's knowledge of the law of God, showing, does, is this one of the commandments you shall not kill? And we know it is, so we would move that one over here. And it goes one by one. Now, is this one, uh, you shall not be gluttonous, is that one of the Ten Commandments? No. How about you shall not envy? Uh, no. How about, let's see, you shall not be prideful or display vain glory. Is that one of the Ten Commandments? Now, some of these principles may be in the Ten Commandments, but how about this one? You shall not worship a false idol. Is that one? Yes, that's the the second commandment talks about about idols. And so, you know, people, here's ABC News saying, take a look, which ones are you keeping and which ones are you breaking? Now, here's another interesting report that came out of TV Guide. God and television, by the way, Uh, As I've given you many different quizzes during these meetings, I've asked you, what's the world's best-selling book? And you know the answer to that. It's the Bible. And who's the world's most uh, famous person that's ever lived? And that person uh, is Jesus. That's right. What's the most important law that's ever been given? It's the Ten Commandments. Now, the Bible is the world's all-time bestseller, but a lot of people are clicking and clicking and clicking and watching all kinds of other things on TV these days. And here's this this report about the Ten Commandments. And so here's even TV Guide getting into the act. It says, which of the Ten Commandments do you think is most often violated on primetime television? (laughs) And that's a very interesting uh, question. Do not steal. That's one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? And then I guess what's the number one? It's do not commit adultery. Anybody know which number that is of the ten? It's number seven, correct, good. You, you sh- do not commit adultery. So people are saying that's, that's the big one. 
because uh, there's a lot of sexual immorality on TV. So anyway, here's my point, is that the Ten Commandments are being discussed in our society. They're being discussed on television. They're being discussed on TV Guide. They're being discussed concerning the courtroom and whether the Ten Commandments should be displayed or not. Have you heard about that controversy outside the courtroom? They're being discussed uh, concerning the public school system. They're being discussed in churches and in homes. And also, it has a huge issue concerning what's going on in people's hearts. It's hard to get away from the Ten Commandments. I mean, they're pretty basic, they're pretty solid, and most people recognize that the Ten Commandments have a lot to say to us today. Now, let's go back to Revelation and look again at chapter 14, verse 12. Revelation 14, 12. And from what we've just seen tonight, from Revelation 12, verse 17, that talks about the world following the dragon, except for those who keep the commandments and follow Jesus. And then Revelation uh, 13 talks about the beast. The world is following the beast, except for those who follow Jesus Christ and keep his commandments. Uh, Revelation 14, 12 describes the people who don't follow the beast. 14, 12, let's look at it again. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I'm going to put this, this verse right on the screen. There's the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, greatest book on prophecy ever given. And Revelation 14, 12 right there describes this group of people called the saints. And it says that they do two things. They keep the commandments of God, and they also have the faith of Jesus. Do all your Bibles have that? Is that in your Bible too? It's in my Bible. I'm assuming it's, it's in yours. Now, there, in case you don't know this, and you, or you probably do, that they, when it comes to the issue of keeping commandments and then having faith in Jesus Christ or the faith of Jesus, there's, there's a lot of confusion about this. People wonder, well, if I'm saved by faith, which we are, and if we're saved by grace, which we are, then how does that relate to keeping God's law? There's a lot of confusion about this. You know, how can, how can people do both? How could they have faith and keep at the same time? Isn't this, uh, isn't this a contradiction? Well, what we're going to do this evening, because we see in Revelation clearly that God will have a people who do both, right? It says they keep the commandments and they have the faith of Jesus. We see this over and over and over again. So the question is, well, how do we make sense of that? How do we put together the fact that we are saved by grace and yet we have a law as well? Well, that's what we're going to try to do tonight. I'm going to try to explain how this happens, and I'm going to do it from the Bible. And the reason why we're going to do it is because it's part of prophecy and because I'm assuming that all of us want to be in this group. We all want to be among the saints, right? We don't want to follow the dragon. We don't want to follow the beast. We certainly don't want to get the mark. We want to be on the side of God, on the side of Jesus. 
And the book of Revelation tells us where that side is. And there it is right there. So let's have a little Bible study right now, and hopefully I can make this very, very clear so it makes sense. Uh, Let's turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Ephesians in the New Testament, if you have your Bible. Ephesians, chapter 2. See if we can find that together. And let's take a look at one of the most famous or well-known verses in the Bible about grace. And I want you to know right out of the gate that I am a strong believer in grace. If it wasn't for grace, where would I be? I wouldn't be anywhere. I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for the grace of God. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul wrote this, and he said, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If we could work our way to heaven, we'd get up there, and then what, what would we do? We'd boast about it. We'd say, look at me. I got here on my own. And the Lord doesn't want us to be doing that. He doesn't want us to be boasting. There is no boasting. There should be no boasting. And the more we look at the cross, uh, Paul said, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of Jesus Christ. The more we realize how good Jesus is and what he did for us and how, how far down we've, we've fallen and how much he is the one that lifts us up, you know, then we're not going to be boasting and saying, you know, look at me, look at me, look at me. Who are we going to be pointing our, our, our faith to and our eyes to? It's going to be Jesus. That's right. So here we have this verse in the, in the Bible, in Ephesians 2.8, that tells us very clearly that we are saved by grace, not by works. And I want you to know that I totally believe that. Absolutely. I mean, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I don't know where I'd be. I grew up in, in North Hollywood in Southern California. As a teenager, I got involved in a lot of bad things. I just went off the deep end in a, in a life that I'm not proud of, don't really want to talk about, want to get away from as far as you know my memories and just get as far and far and far and far away from that old life. And I know inside of me that what has changed my life has been the goodness and the love and the mercy and the grace of God. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God's grace. There's, there's no, just no question in my mind. So we can just nail that down. Here we have a picture of the cross on the one side and the law on the other side, and Christians are not saved by the law. We're saved by the grace of God. That is very, very clear, and Paul brings this out. But now let's just keep going. We just read verse 8 and 9, that we're saved by grace, not works. Now, then in verse 10, he says, for we, Paul continues, for we are his workmanship. In other words, we're not saved by works, but God is going to be doing a work in us, right? He's going to be working. He's going to be changing us like that song that we sing every night, ancient words, changing you, changing me. There's power in the Bible to change people. And verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? To good works, right? To good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So I'm just going to 
put some pieces together here. Paul says clearly we're saved by grace, not by works. But then he says in the very next verse that we are saved for good works. In other words, good works don't get us to heaven, but as Jesus works in us and changes us, then the result is going to be good works are going to come out of us. Does that make sense? If there's no good works coming out of us, then what does that show? That he's not really, you know, he's still got a whole lot of work to do in me. So we need to, uh, to put, the, put these pieces together. What Paul's basically saying in verse 8, 9, and 10 is that Christians should be different from the rest of the world, from the, the, broad, the broad road that we see all around us. Christians should be different. Uh, it reminds me of a, of a little story once I heard about the great, the great Greek general, Alexander the Great. We've talked a little bit about him. He conquered the world in eight years. He died in Babylon at the age of 33, Alexander the Great. And there's an old story about how Alexander, and I, from what I've been told, he never lost a battle, not even once. And one time he was in this battle, and one of his young soldiers chickened out and ran away right in the, in the heat of the conflict. And after Alexander won the fight, which he always won every fight, uh, they, they went and they found this soldier, this young soldier who had AWOLed and you know, run away. And they brought this man before Alexander. And Alexander looked at his cowardly soldier and he said to him, he said, soldier, what is your name? Who are you? And then the man looked at him, and he was just, you know, shaking in his boots. And he looked up at him, and he said, uh, my name's Alexander, sir. And he had the same name, you know, Alexander the Great. And here's this chicken soldier who had the same name. And Alexander thought about that, you know, was he going to have mercy on this man, or, or what was he going to do with him? So he, he pondered, you know, what should I do? And then supposedly, he, this is what he said. He said, uh, he said, soldier, this is what I'm going to tell you to do. He said, you either change your conduct or you change your name. Because I don't want you to be called by my name, Alexander, and run away in the heat of battle. And the point was that if you carry the name of Alexander, you know, you should be a good soldier. And drawing the lesson for us tonight is if we believe in Jesus and if we believe in his grace, that we're saved by his grace and his power, and then we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, we call ourselves Christians, then we should live differently from the rest of the world. Don't you think? We should, our, our conduct should change or we should change our names. We shouldn't be calling ourselves Christians and, and living like the devil at the same time. So there's the point there. Uh, we, Paul says we're saved for good works. Christians, and I really believe this, and I'll just tell you straight, straightforward, that Christians should be good. <laughs> we should be good people in this world, right? Not bad people. We should be able to tell that we're Christians by the way that we live. It shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be too hard to figure out when, when uh, people look at us. 
Now, another question is, okay, when Paul says good works here, what good works is he talking about? And do those good works have anything to do with the Ten Commandments? Well, let's go back to our Bibles and turn to chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We just read verses, chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. And now let's look at chapter 6, verse 1. Paul said, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he said, Honor your father and your mother, which was the first commandment with promise. And did I read that right? Did Paul say it was, or did he say it is? Now, if it was a was, then what would that mean? It's, it's gone. But if he says it is, then what does that mean? That's right, that, the, that it's still there. Now, uh, the question, which, which commandment is Paul quoting from? Anybody know? No, let's see. If he were to take the TV guide test, I wonder if he would, uh, you know, he would know. He would know. He's actually, I'll show you, he's actually quoting from commandment number five, which says, honor your father and your mother. And then verse three says that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the land. So the question is, uh, did Paul believe in the fifth commandment or not? Now, remember, this is the same Paul who in the same book said we're saved by grace not by works. Same Paul, same book. But now he's telling Christian kids to be obedient to the fifth commandment. Now, I've got something up here I'm going to show you. Something that's rather heavy. (laughs) And I brought these with me in my backpack. And uh, I take these with me when I travel. (laughs) A lot of times... I'll go into airports, and I will check these through security. And I I get a kick out of uh, watching the TSA agents look at this backpack as it goes through security. And many times I've seen their eyes get really big because they can see, they can read right there It says, you shall have no other gods before me, right there. Very impressive. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, What's what's different about the Ten Commandments than about any other law that's ever been written? Okay, all right, I I heard it. Somebody said it was written with the finger of God. Uh, All the other laws that were, were written were written by man. But this law was written with the finger of God not by man. And there's something else about this law. What was this law written on? That's right. It's written on stone. Have you ever heard anybody say, you can change this or that because it's not written in stone? This is what they're getting there. They're getting that from this. God's law written on stone. And this is actually, here's the fifth commandment right here. Honor your father and your mother. Do you think that Christians, Christian kids should keep this commandment today? Is this a good commandment or a bad commandment? Parents, what do you think? Yeah, now I just want to to make this real clear here now that this is Paul in the book of Ephesians 
the Paul who says we're saved by grace, not by works. We're saved. It's a gift of God, not, not of works, lest we should boast. But we still should be saved so that God changes us and then he, he develops good works in us. And Paul is then telling us in chapter 6, what are some of those good works? And he's telling us very clearly that those good works have to do with keeping God's commandments. Now, let's look at a couple other verses where Paul talks about that. Turn to uh, Romans chapter 7. Now, Romans is one of the greatest New Testament letters about faith and grace and the gospel. Now, look at verse 7, Romans 7, 7. Paul said, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is the law sin? Is there anything wrong with the law? Now, we're not saved by the law, but that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the law. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law is a good law. Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. I had not known lust except the law had said. And what is he quoting? Thou shalt not covet. Now, who knows which commandment says thou shalt not covet? No. You're you're in the right table, (laughs) but you got the wrong commandment. Thou shalt not covet is number 10. It says, thou shalt not covet. And then the whole commandment is there in Exodus chapter 20. So commandment number 10, did, did Paul in the book of Romans believe that the, that the 10th commandment was still there for Christians? Don't you think so? He did. Now let's look at one more. Go to um, James chapter 2 in the New Testament. James chapter 2, verse 11, 2, 11. He said, For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, yet if you kill, you are become, what, what, what have you become? A transgressor of the law. So here, which, which commandments is he quoting now? When it says, you shall not commit adultery, who knows that one? That's number seven, that's right. You shall not commit adultery. And which one says, you shall not kill? Number six, right, you sh- thou shalt not kill. So James is quoting directly from the sixth commandment and the seventh commandment, and he says if you, if you keep one of them, but if you break the other one, then what are you? You're a lawbreaker. You're a transgressor of the law. So did, did James believe that the Ten Commandments were still intact for Christians today. It's pretty clear. When you just look at these different verses, uh, it's very clear that the New Testament does teach we're saved by grace, not by works. We're saved through the gospel, through the love and the mercy of Jesus. But as he comes into our lives, 
He changes us. He makes us different. We live differently. We're supposed to then follow good works. And then the New Testament starts listing the different commandments, telling us that these are the good works. Now, imagine something. Imagine if the Ten Commandments were gone. That when Jesus died on the cross, let's just say that he got rid of them. So they just, they don't apply to us today because Ten Commandments have have been abolished, which is what a lot of people think. Now, if that was, if, if Jesus would have done that, then what that would mean would be uh, some of you husbands out there, let's say that I was attracted to your wife, okay? Husbands. Uh, now, I, my wife is here, and I wouldn't do that. <laughs> or if I am attracted to anybody else, I'm going to resist any temptation because I've got eyes for that woman back there alone. But I'm just using an illustration. Imagine that I was attracted to somebody else's wife, and I decided that I was going to covet her for my own. Now, if the Ten Commandments were gone and that commandment didn't exist anymore, then I wouldn't be doing anything wrong by doing that, right? Nothing wrong, because there is no more coveting and, you know, no sin on my part. And now let's say that I were to go over to your house, husbands, and I were to steal your car so I could take out your wife in your car, okay? You know what? I wouldn't be doing it. There'd be nothing wrong with that because the commandment that says don't steal has been abolished. That's not wrong. Uh, now then let's say you came, you came home and you caught me stealing your car to take out your wife in your car. And you caught me and I, I lied. You said, where are you going? And I, and I said, well, we're going to prayer meeting tonight. We're going to the Roxy. <clears throat> we're going to a Bible study. And I lied. Would there be anything wrong with me lying? No, because the ninth commandment that says, do not bear false witness, do not lie, that's gone. So the seventh one's gone. Uh, All these commandments are are gone. Now then let's say that I took your wife in your car uh, to a hotel for, uh, for the night. Now I know what you're thinking, you know, of course not my wife. And, and, I, and I, I, you know, just go along with the story. Let's say, say I did it anyway, and let's say she wanted to go. Nothing wrong with that. Because the commandment that says do not commit adultery has been abolished. And so there's no sin on my part at all, or her part. Now then let's say that you were very suspicious, husbands. You know, I, I didn't lie with a, with a good, you know, my face. You could probably read that, and you were suspicious, and so... You had another car, and you followed me, and you went to the hotel. You saw where I was going, and you went, and you found out what room that I was in. And you went up the, uh, the elevator, and you found that room, and you banged on that door, and I opened that door, and you barged in, and you saw what I was doing. And you were so enraged what I was doing that you pulled out a shotgun, and you leveled it on me, and you just blew me away. Now, you know what? Unfortunate for me, uh, that's not wrong. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Because the commandment that says, you shall not murder, has been done away with. You see what I, are you getting my point? 
that if the Ten Commandments were really done away with, uh, you know, this would be insane. It would be insane. And, and the reality is that what I've just described is going on right now, isn't it? It's not just happening in, in uh, soap operas, but it's going on all over America. People are breaking the Ten Commandments all over America on primetime television. They're doing it left and right, up and down. They're doing it everywhere. <clears throat> everywhere. It is, it is a disaster that we are in the midst of. Uh, anybody recognize this building here? Anybody ever been there? United States Supreme Court building. It's interesting that if you were to go inside of the U.S. Supreme Court building, you would find a, 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 a room where the benches are and the chairs where the chief justices sit and where they make the big decisions. And right above their heads is what's called a fresco that comes out of the wall. <clears throat> and the, and this, uh, this particular magazine, Liberty Magazine, has on their cover the fresco that is up above the heads of the Supreme Court justices. And this particular issue here has the case of the overlooked law. And the point here is showing that look what's engraved above the heads of the United States Supreme Court justices. Recognize this? This is the Ten Commandments. It's right there in Washington, D.C., on a panel above the bench. If you have any money in your pocket, if you were to take it out, it's going to say on your coins, in God we trust, isn't it? You know, America claims that we trust in God. Our Supreme Court building and room has the Ten Commandments right there as the Ten Commandments, but, but what are we doing as a, as a country? Are we keeping God's law as a nation? No, we're not. Not as a whole. Not as far as the majority goes. We are in serious trouble as a nation. We are getting farther and farther away from God. <clears throat> we are breaking his law on all sides. <clears throat> we are committing something that the Bible calls sin. S-I-N. Now, turn to our next text, which is 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. 1 John is just before Revelation. Turn to chapter 3, verse 4. Now, if I were to ask you, let's say we did it like a TV guide quiz, and if I were to ask you a question and say, what is... Well, let me ask you first. Do, do you still believe, I'm sure you do, that sin still exists in this world. Yes, sir, we all, we all believe that. And let's say I were to ask you, well, how do you, how do you define sin? What is sin anyway? What, what does that mean? Now, a lot of people, and I'm not saying you, but many people would say, and I've heard this many times, they'll say sin is missing the mark. Have you ever heard that expression? Sin is missing the mark. That's what it is. Missing, uh, you know, doing God's will and missing the mark of his standard. But if I were to follow that up and say, okay, if sin is missing the mark, what if I were to ask, well, what mark are we talking about? 
You know, let's get a little more specific. What does that mean? Sin is missing the mark. What mark? Well, let's find out. If you look at your Bibles in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, 1 John 3, verse 4, the Bible says, Whosoever commits sin, right, transgresses also the law. For sin is, what is it? Sin is the transgression of the law. I think I've got that verse up here. Yes, I do. So if we want to know what mark we're talking about, this is the mark. See, this is the, when I say mark here, I'm not talking about the mark of the beast. I'm talking about the standard. Missing the mark that we're not meeting the standard of God that he wants us to meet. And here is is a definition. Sin is the transgression of the law. And this is what John wrote. And John was the closest of all the disciples to Jesus. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John was called the, the one that Jesus loved. He was very close to Christ. And he understood this issue. Now, we've already looked at Romans 7, 7, where Paul said, I would not have known sin but by the law. For the law said, you shall not covet. Paul didn't even know what sin was until he really looked at the commandments and then he saw what, uh, what coveting was. And we've already looked at James 2.11 where James said, if you don't commit adultery, but if you murder, or if you don't murder, but if you commit adultery, you have become a transgressor of the law. Now, he, here's my point that we've got John We've got Paul, who wrote Romans. We've got James. Here we have the the writers of the majority of the New Testament. Paul wrote more books than anybody else of all the New Testament letters. And it's very clear that all of these inspired men agreed on, on, they always agreed because they were inspired by God, and they agreed on the major point that sin is violating the law of God. That's what sin is. Now, let's go back to the gospel. And I want to share something with you that's very, very powerful. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Let me get my Bible here too. Let's talk about the gospel. I think we've all heard of the gospel. Who knows what the word gospel means? It means the good news. Right, the good news. Praise the Lord for the good news. We all need good news. This world's full of bad news. And even though I talk about sin and about you know, things happening in America, ultimately what this seminar is about is, is good news, not bad news. And God wants us to understand his word. Now, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 3, Paul is clearly talking about the good news. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I've preached to you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I've preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. So Paul received it, and then he's giving it to us how that Christ, and here's the gospel. He's defining the gospel right here. He says that Christ 
died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The Bible calls this the gospel. The good news is that Jesus came down here from a holy heaven. And the reason why he suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane and the reason why he gave his life on the cross for you and for me was to pay the price for our sins. Do all your Bibles say that? Christ died for our sins. You see that? Let's say that together. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, you know, when it says our sins, that puts us all in the same boat, doesn't it? Paul says somewhere else in Romans, he says, all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has, has committed sins in our lives, things that we've done that we're not proud of, things where we've violated our consciences, things where we've, we haven't been good, we've been bad, and it applies to every single human being. And the good news is that Jesus still loves us and that Jesus paid the price for our sins. And what was that price? It's his life. That's right. When you look at that text, Paul says Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. The price was a, an awful price. It was a price that we can't even really begin to, you know, to understand. We, we can begin to understand it, but we can't fully understand it. And we're going to be uh, learning about it forever when we realize more and more who Jesus is and what he did for us. Now, I want you to look closely at this text. Look closely. The Bible says that Christ died for our sins, right? That's the gospel. Now, next question is, what is sin? That's right. We already studied that, right? We already learned. We read uh, 1 John 3, verse 4. We read Romans 7, 7. We read James 2, verses, verse 11. We've read all of these verses that tell us what sin is. Sin is breaking God's commandments. And what this is saying, so here's, here's how the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus come together. Because remember, the whole world is going to be on the side of the dragon and the side of the beast, but God's going to have a people who are keeping the commandments and have the faith of Jesus. That's what the Bible says. That's what Revelation says. And here's where they come together and they make sense. They make sense by having us realize that all the idols that we've had and all the other gods that we've had instead of God and taken God's name in vain or we have dishonored our parents or told lies or coveted or stolen or committed adultery, any form of sexual sin or committed murder. And the New Testament also talks about hate. And Jesus summarized the Big Ten in loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves any time that we've done any of those things wrong, what we've done is we've committed sins. See, let's just, you know, get right down to the, to the chase. That's, that's missing the mark. We've sinned. We've broken God's law. And here's the point. That is the reason 
why Jesus died. He died because we've broken God's law. He died because children haven't respected their parents. He's died because we've committed uh, you know, unnumbered sins in unnumbered ways in our minds and in our hearts and in our actions. And that is the reason why our Lord suffered on the cross. And the good news of the gospel of grace is that even though we've done all these things, Jesus still loves us. Even though we've gone against God, he still cares about us. And in fact, he cares about us so much that rather than see us die for our sins, he was willing to take those sins upon himself and die in our place, in our behalf, instead of us. Do do we realize that when we break the law, we deserve to die? That's how serious it is to break God's commandments. When we break God's commandments in the sight of heaven, we deserve to die. And the good news is that Jesus was willing to die for us and to pay the price for our breaking of his law. So he could take away those sins. You think Jesus wants to keep all these sins in us? Or do you think he wants to take them away, forgive them, and change us so that we don't do them anymore? I mean, why would he want us to keep doing the things that killed him? See what I mean? Jesus doesn't want us to keep doing the things that killed him. He wants us to stop doing those things. And by his grace, he wants to change our lives. Now think about this. If we, if we remove the law, let's just say that the law was gone, that the Ten Commandments were abolished, and that they don't apply to us today at all. Follow the logic of that. If the Ten Commandments were gone, then what would also be gone? Well, that's right. Well, you get to that, but the, the law shows us what sin is. And if the law is gone, then sin is gone. There's no sin. And if there's no, if there's no sin, then what in the world is this all about? You know, what in the world is Jesus dying for? Ultimately, if we get rid of the law, we get rid of sin and we've destroyed the gospel. We've destroyed the gospel. If you want to keep the gospel intact, then we need to keep the law intact. So we know why Jesus died. Doesn't that make sense? I see heads nodding. It does make sense. It makes perfect sense. Now, some people say, well, wow, Steve, that's kind of a new thought to me. I've never heard that. Some people think that the law, and some people say this, that the law law was just for the Jews. It's not for us. It's for the Jews. Those poor Jews. Well, if that's true, that the, that the Ten Commandments was just for the Jews, then that would mean that it's okay for Gentiles to lie and steal and murder. And as long as I'm, uh, as long, as long as I'm not a Jew, then it's okay for me to steal your car and take your wife and go to the hotel and lie about it and you know, get shot in the meantime or turn around and shoot the other guy and not do anything wrong. None of that would be wrong. So that doesn't make sense. Turn to Romans chapter 3. 
and look at verse 19. Back to Romans. Back to Romans. And the reason why we're going through this in Romans and 1 John and James is because these issues tie in with the book of Revelation. They, they help us to understand the issue that will divide the world in the book of Revelation. Revelation or, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Let's take a look at this. Verse 19, Paul wrote this. He said, Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them who are under the law, which means under its authority, that every Jewish mouth may be stopped. Did I read that right? Does it say only every Jewish mouth? No, it says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become what? Guilty before God, that all the world may become guilty before God. So to, to whom does the Ten Commandments apply to according to Paul? It applies to the whole world. That's right. That's what Paul says. That's the real Paul. Sometimes I hear people say, you know, Paul said this or that, and I think to myself, would the real Paul please stand up? Who is the real Paul? What, is the, what does Paul really teach in his word? And this verse says that the whole, the whole world, in the light of the law, all the world is guilty before God, which means that the entire world has broken God's commandments. Now, once again, just to clarify, uh, I am not saying that we are saved by the law, right? Don't leave here saying that guy, Steve Wahlberg, over in the Roxy, he's telling people that the law of God saves us. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that. And Paul's not saying that. Go back to the verse. He says uh, in verse 20, he says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, which means by doing the law, shall no flesh be justified in his sight. In other words, by trying to keep the law, that's not going to justify us. And the word justified basically means get rid of our guilt. People that break the law are guilty. And once we're guilty of breaking God's commandments, no amount of turning around and trying to keep the law is going to remove your guilt. It can't happen. Guilt cannot be taken away through obedience to God's commandments. And Paul is very, very clear on that. It just doesn't happen. There we have a picture of the law and the day of judgment. And if a, if a man stands before God and he looks at the Ten Commandments and he realizes that he's a sinner, then what hope does he have? What hope? That's right. And you read the next verse, verse 21 and verse 22, and you keep on reading. Paul makes it very, very clear that the only hope that we have is Jesus Christ because we've all broken God's commandments. We're all sinners. We're all in the same boat. Now, since we're not saved by the law, what is the purpose of the law? When you look at the, at back at verse 20, Paul does say, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. And then he says, but for by the law is is what? Is the knowledge of sin. See that? In other words, 
by the law is the knowledge of sin, which means that when we look at the law, which is like a mirror, then we see what sin is. Now, let me give you a, a simple illustration about this. Uh, there, there have been times when I've been working out in my backyard, working in my garden, working in my orchard, working with my wood or whatever I'm doing, and, and my wife will, and my kids can surely testify of this. Sometimes I walk into my house and I am absolutely filthy. I'm as dirty as dirty can be. Uh, one time I came in, I looked at myself in the mirror, and I was shocked at how dirty I was. Anybody relate to that? Now, now, if you, now let's just follow this illustration. If you're dirty, or if I'm dirty, and if I go in and I look at the mirror and I see that I'm all dirty, now what do I do? Okay, clean up. Now, look, I've got, I've got two options here. One option is if I don't like what I see, I can just, uh, you know, get rid of the mirror. How about that? You know, if you look at the Ten Commandments and if you don't like what you see, you have a choice. You can just say, well, the law is gone. doesn't apply to me. You, you know, you have the freedom to make that choice. Now, it wouldn't be true, but a lot of people think that's the solution to the sin problem. Let's just say the law is gone. Now, is that going to solve my problem? When I come in from my yard and I'm all dirty? No. Now, another, another, that's one ditch. Now, the other ditch on the other side is for me to, uh, to look at the mirror and say, Mirror, I am so thankful that you showed me my dirt. Now, mirror, please cleanse me of all this dirt. Would that be a good solution? No. Can the mirror cleanse me? No, I mean, you know, and ladies, if you get up in the morning and you get out of bed and you go into the bathroom and you look at yourself in the mirror and you don't like what you see, you know, sometimes, I mean, none of us do sometimes. In the morning, we get up and look at ourselves in the morning and we're all, uh, you know, well, what, what's the solution to that? Just get rid of the mirror? No. You know, stay in bed, she said. Stay in bed. <laughs> so you, you, you get my point. The Ten Commandments is a good law. And the Ten Commandments shows us what sin is. And one ditch is to try to just abolish the mirror because we don't like what we see. The other ditch is to say, mirror, please save me and cleanse me. And both of those are false solutions. Now, what's the right solution? If the mirror shows me my sin or my dirt, then what should I do? Mirror's not going to help me. I don't want to get rid of the mirror. I want to get in the shower right? I want to get in the shower and I want to grab the soap and I want to grab my washcloth. And what do I do in the shower? I get cleansed by the water and by the soap. Are you following me? It's the, listen, it's the same thing with the Ten Commandments and with the gospel. This is how they fit together. When we look at the Ten Commandments, it shows us our dirt. It shows us our sins. Paul said it, by the law is the knowledge of sin. And once we see that and realize how horrible sin is and what we've done, that we really didn't even know how bad we were, then we look up 
and we begin to appreciate for the first time, maybe, we begin to appreciate, appreciate the good news of the gospel. We begin to appreciate the grace of God and what grace is really all about. That Jesus was willing to take your dirt and my dirt and my sins, all of it. He took it all. He took all of our sins, not just yours and mine, not just everybody in this room, but everybody in the whole town of Newport and Old Town and Diamond Lake and Priest River and not just you know Washington and Idaho, but Texas and Alabama and not just in this time period, but in the past, in every country, every nation all over the world. What really happened on the cross was Jesus took upon himself the sins of the whole world from Adam to the end of time, where we've all, all humanity, has broken God's commandments. He took it all into his mind and into his heart, and he suffered and he agonized and he died. And when we believe that, and when we say, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for what I've done, Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me for hurting you and for all this dirt. Then what Jesus will do is he will forgive us. He will cleanse us. He'll wash us so we can then stand before him as if we never sinned even one time. Not even once. I tell you, that's good. That's the good news of the gospel. That is the grace, the grace of God. Now, once I'm over here and this is me, what, what does that mean as far as the law goes? Does that mean that I should then just turn around and uh, commit adultery and steal and lie and dishonor my parents and just start going back and breaking commandment, 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 commandment because I'm not saved by works, I'm saved by grace? Does that make any sense? Not at all. Before we finish, let me just quickly show you. Look at what Paul said. Go back to Romans. Romans 3.31. Paul said, Do we then make void the law through faith? Because we're saved by faith, do we then get rid of the law? He said, God forbid that idea. Yea, we established the law. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And what does he say? God forbid. Okay, some Bibles say by no means. King James says God forbids this, that we should think that way. Verse 14 says, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And I believe that. I believe we're not under the law. Some people say, well, look, Steve, we're not under the law anymore. Why are you talking about the Ten Commandments? Why do you go around carrying Ten Commandments in your backpack? Why do you give seminars on the Ten Commandments? Don't you know we're, we're not under the law, we're under grace? And my response is, I know that. I know we're not under the law, but what does that mean? Does that mean it's now okay for me to keep breaking the law? Look at the very next verse. Paul says in the very next verse, he says, he says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. 
is, is there a law about, about speeding that we shouldn't go you know, so fast as we drive around town? Is that law still there? Now, let's say that tonight when I leave and I'm taking my wife and my kids and we're going home and I decide to go 75 miles an hour on the way to my house and the, and the speed limit's 35 and I go 70 and a policeman pulls me over and I see those guys sitting there sometimes. You know, they're watching. And if the, and if the guy pulls me over and he, you know, comes over and I roll down my window and he asks my driver's license, um, is the is the law still there? Have I broken it? Am I under the law? Yes, I am because I've broken it. I'm under its authority. Now then, let's say the officer decides to give me grace. I don't know if he would do that if I was going 75 miles an hour, but let's say he decided to give me grace. Let's say he would say, "Son, um, don't ever let me catch you driving that fast again, ever." But I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you a warning. And I'm going to let you go. When he lets me go and I start driving back down the highway, am I still under the law or am I now under grace? See, now I'm under grace. Now the law is still there, but I'm not under it because it's not on top of me pushing me down. Because now I'm, I'm free. But now what does that mean? Now that I'm not under the law but under grace... Does that mean that I should just, you know, push my foot to the floor and, uh, and just, you know, shotgun it and go 100 miles an hour because I'm not under the law, I'm under grace? What do you think? If I, di- if I did that, then what would happen to me? Yeah, then, you know, the officer would pull me over and I'd be in big trouble with the law, Right? He'd probably throw me in jail, and I would deserve it, wouldn't I? I would deserve it. And, and if people think today that they can just go along breaking God's law, what the danger is that they're going to end up on the wrong side of the issue that's going to divide the world that is described again and again and again in the book of Revelation. This is just about my last slide here. Jesus said in John 14, 15, he said, if you, if you love me, what should we do? Keep my commandments. That's right. Now notice, keeping God's commandments, Jesus' commandments, is based on what? It's based on love. If we really love him, you know, if I appreciate that police officer and they say, thank you, officer, then if it's 35 miles an hour, how fast am I going to go on the rest of my way home? I'm going to go 35 because I appreciate the gift of grace and that officer let me off the hook, right? And, And how much more should it be that way if we understand the grace of Jesus and the gospel? If we understand his grace and his love and we love him, and that's really what it's all about. The ultimate issue is love. Some people think that uh, keeping the Ten Commandments is legalism. I don't agree with that. It's not legalism, it's love. Now, if we're doing it to get to heaven, to be saved, you know, that's wrong. But, but we're doing it because we love him, because of what he's done for us. That is the right attitude. Love for Jesus. 
because he loves us and because he paid the price for our sins. Does that make sense? And so when you read Revelation, ultimately the real issue, the bottom line issue that this whole world's going to face is going to be an issue of love. Do we love God enough to keep his commandments and to stand up for what's right in the midst of a world that's being destroyed by sin? That's the issue. That is the issue that's going to divide the world. Okay, we'll finish with Revelation 14. Revelation 14. Back to the chat, one of the chapters that we read. And let me show you this. This is my, I think this is my last slide. Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. Says these words. It says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that do what? Let's see, do I have that? I hope that's up there. Yeah, there it is. Here are the saints that keep the commandments of God and they have the faith of Jesus, right? This is, a, this is Revelation's description of a final people in the last days who are not following the dragon. They're not following the beast. They're following the lamb. They're following Jesus 100%. And they love him enough. They love him so much that they have chosen that they're going to be commandment keepers because they love Jesus. And verse 14, this is my last text, verse 14 describes what's going to happen right after that. Verse 14 says, I looked and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud, one sat like the son of man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand, a sharp sickle. This is a description of Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven at the final day with a sharp sickle representing harvest time. It's time to harvest the earth. And there's going to be two groups. There's going to be one group that's ready for the harvest and one group that isn't going to be ready. And as I've looked at these verses, to me, it's very clear to me, as I read my Bible right there, it's very clear where God wants me to be. He wants me to be among this group, right, of commandment keepers who follow Jesus, who are on the side of Jesus, who believe in Jesus enough to be people by his grace who become commandment keepers. That's where we need to be. Make sense? As the world falls apart, as this world is on the big slide morally, and we see it all around us, on television, in the movies, everywhere, the Lord is developing a people right now who are going to be different. Like Alexander's soldier. Soldier, either change your conduct or change your name. The Lord is preparing a people, and he's getting us ready. Uh, before we pray, let me show you something. We have a gentleman out here that has decided to give you a gift, and he has, he has these posters of the Ten Commandments, exactly as they're in the Bible, and he has donated these to, to you. 
any of these, anybody that wants one. And when you walk out tonight, when you go by the registration table on the right, there's going to be a stack of these, and you can pick uh, pick which which color you like, pick which one you want. It says God spoke the Ten Commandments, and there they all are, right there. You can pick whether you like a gold Ten Commandments or a uh, looks like a dark blue Ten Commandments, and these are all free. So thank you, Jerry, for being willing to, uh, and your wife for being willing to make that contribution to our meetings. And we hope that you'll pick one of those up and that you'll enjoy it and that you'll come to our next meeting. Have I stuck with the Bible tonight? And I'm going to do that every night. Believe me, I don't want to stray from God's Word. I want to stick right to the book. So our next meeting is, uh, tonight is, what is tonight? Thursday. So don't come tomorrow. Because unless you, you know, do something else, but we're not going to be here. And don't come uh, Saturday night because we don't have a meeting, but we do on Sunday. Sunday night, we're back here, right here, and the meeting is called The Lie That Is Destroying America. Big subject. And then Tuesday is The Beast's Greatest Deception Affecting You. So I hope you'll stick with me. And then Thursday is A Thief in the Night. Sound good? So that's the plan. So let's, uh, let's pray and let's ask God to be with us and bless us and thank him for what he's done. Dear Father in heaven, it's with uh, amazement and wonder that we, that we begin to understand the grace of God and the gospel and what Jesus did for us on the cross so much. Lord, thank you that you love us all. And we do pray that you will clean us up like the illustration, uh, we need to get in the shower and we need to trust in you. You are the soap. You are the, the water, the water of life. And your blood can cleanse us from all of our sins so we can stand before you as if we never sinned. And I just pray that you'll bless everybody here and that you will help us to become commandment keepers that do what's right, that live good lives in this uh, evil world so we can be a good example to those around us in every way. Thank you, Lord. Bless us all and bring us back for our next meeting on Sunday night. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message by Steve Wolberg. We feel privileged to be a part of God's commission to share the gospel with the world. You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting messages just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, go to whitehorsemedia.com, or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-4253. You can follow us on Twitter at Whitehorse7 or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Steve Wolberg. That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to Whitehorse Media, P.O. Box 130, Priest River, Idaho, 83856. Thanks for your support, and may God richly bless your day.